word of the Lord. Set the trumpets to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not from God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up already. They are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princess shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him an altar for sinning, where I write for him my laws by the ten thousands. They would be regarded as strange things. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built places. And Judah has multiplied fortified cities, so I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So we are continuing today in our trek through Hosea as we come to this me- another message of judgment upon the nation. And we see this theme that kind of is, is trickling through this passage today, this idea of you reaping what you sow. And this is a common expression used uh, that we understand. It's an agricultural uh, expression. If you plant a certain kind of seed, uh, you will sow that kind of seed. You will reap uh, what you sow. If you sow corn, you will reap corn. If you sow beans, you will reap beans. Uh, And it's not being used literally for agriculture. It's being used here as an example. And and this is something that we use. If you uh, work hard, you'll reap success. If you're kind, you will reap kindness. And the opposite is true as well. If you're lazy, you will not reap success. If you are unkind, you will generally reap unkindness. It's not just for application outside of the church either, in the church as well. We are the people of God, and as the people of God, we have a certain way we are to live before him. If we sow the things of God, we will reap the things of God. If we fail to sow the things of God, there is no way that we will reap the things of God. Israel has forgotten that lesson. Israel was reaping or sowing not the things of God. They planted weeds and hoped to get wheat. They have left and abandoned God, and the God who had set them apart to be his people, who at Sinai said, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and he made covenant with them. 
He made them a nation for himself, but they have forgotten and they have left him. So as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. Tilling transgression, sowing futility, and reaping destruction. Tilling transgression, sowing futility, and reaping destruction. We begin by looking at tilling transgression. It begins here by saying, set a trumpet to your lip. This is literally, the word is a ram's horn. You can imagine the big ram's horn. You take it and you blow it. It was to call people to attention. It was a method of communication. And it was for a variety of reasons it would be blown. One of which was to signal approaching danger. And it begins here by saying, set the trumpet to your lips. It's saying, send out the signal that danger is coming. One like a vulture, this word for vulture also could be eagle. It's, it's a bird of prey in essence. One like a vulture or an eagle is over the house of the Lord, over the house of Israel. It's this imagery of this big predatory bird descending upon Yahweh's house. This is in contrast to Yahweh, the Lord, as the eagle that delivers Israel from Egypt to himself, one who supported the people through the wilderness like a mother hovering over a nest. No longer will they have his protection. This is a consequence for Israel's disobedience. He will bring a nation from afar, as he says here, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. This nation, Assyria more than likely, will come down upon them like a bird of prey. Because they have done two things. They have violated covenant and they have transgressed instruction. They have violated his covenant and rebelled against my law. God made covenant with them. He entered into this relationship with them, this agreement, this binding agreement, and they have transgressed it. They have rebelled against the law of God. The law that was meant to be a gift and instruction on how they could remain the people of God. But they have not responded correctly to this gracious act that God had given to him, this deliverance, this covenant-making blessing. Even if they did call upon Yahweh, they called upon Yahweh, God, as one of many options. They become polytheist. They worship both Baal and they worship Yahweh. Israel is charged with rejecting good. Verse 3, Israel has spurned the good. What is the good? What does Jesus say about the good? There is only one who is good. The good is God. God is good, and they have rejected, they have spurned the good. Good. 
good as what God had promised Israel if they will follow his lead. They rejected Yahweh. They embraced idols and other gods. They went after foreign allies. And all of this is a rejection of the covenant Lord. It says, you have made kings, but you have not done it the right way. They, they, making of a king in the ancient world was a, a sacred thing. They made kings, but not through me. They set up kings and princes and rulers, but they didn't do it through me. And this doesn't mean that Hosea is rejecting the office of king. And I think this actually uh, brings up something that, as we've gone throughout Hosea, we see that he has criticized the priest, but he has not rejected the priest. He has criticized the prophets, but he himself was a prophet. He, he's criticizing the kings, but we saw in chapter 3 that he longed for that Davidic king, prophet, priest, and king. This has echoes for us, doesn't it, down the road? Israel had bad prophets they had bad priests and had bad kings but there was is one who is coming who would be the perfect prophet priest and king because Hosea believed the monarchy could reflect the will of Yahweh but instead they made idols instead of looking to God instead of looking to this uh, God-ordained ruler, they made idols secure, to secure blessings for themselves. Israel was guilty of violating covenant. They were called to be something as the people of God, and they turned their back on him. All right. So what does that mean for us? As we wade through this Old Testament text, as it at times can be heady and confusing, what does that mean for us today? What does it mean uh, when we talk about covenant violating and law transgressing? And, and the reality we find is this, that this is no less true for us today. We have entered into covenant with God. He has given us his written and revealed will. We are called to be his people. We are called to represent our Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot reject the good that we have been given. And I'm not talking about good things here. I'm talking about Jesus himself. And there are times, well, when we look at this as two ways, the, the world has rejected the good, hasn't it? All those apart from the church have rejected the good. But we also, on a daily basis, reject good things. We reject Jesus in favor of satisfying our own sinfulness. We talk about the lust and the longings of this world. It's pleasures. It's trappings. We become prideful. We become, become lustful. We become arrogant. We seek to have things. How many reports did you hear from Thursday night and Friday morning of just avarice and greed turning into violence to get that next cheaper deal? When we put that up as the pedestal, 
becomes the, the focus point of our life. And we as the church, we who are in the church, cannot reject the good. We cannot fail to come in faith and repentance and obedience to the covenant in which he has brought us into. We, much like Israel, today we are the people of God and we must live as the people of God. We must not trust in the empty futileness of this world. And we do. We do trust in this world. Who are we seeking for salvation? Who are we seeking to save us? We often talk about the hopes of a reclaimed nation. What are we hoping for to fix our nation? Is it God or is it some political or ideological figure? If we do this, if, if we are looking to some sort of government figure or religious figure or anything like that to save us, to fix us, then what we're doing, which is our second point, is sowing futility. It is futile. It's an, it's an exercise in futility to look anywhere else but God to heal and fix us. The question begins, how long? How long will they be incapable of innocence? This is the end of verse 7. They must repent. They cannot remain guilty forever. And if they do, then the time of judgment will come upon them. <clears throat> For what they've done is they've fashioned idols. And you talk about Samaria here, and we oftentimes will forget this. Samaria is just the northern part of Israel, right? It's the separated part of Israel when the kingdom's separated. So when it talks about Samaria, when it talks about uh, Judah and Ephraim, this is all parts of the same whole. And you go, well, was really Israel guilty of building idols? And you go, yeah, no further than the Exodus, right? Well, Moses is up there getting the law. What's Aaron doing at the base of the hill? Making an idol out of gold in the image of a calf. You can go look at Jeroboam the first. He does the same thing. They build idols for themselves, just like the pagan nations. These idols aren't divine. They're not worthy of the attention the people give them. Hosea is coming and he's teaching again the Ten Commandments. Have no graven image. They're an exercise in futility. When we talk about something being futile, he says, you have sown the wind. Try and sow the wind. What's the thing with the wind? The wind is this force outside. If you go outside, we see that it blows. We see, never actually see the wind. You see the effects of the wind, right? We have a lot of leaves in our parking lot. If winds were to start gusting right now, you would see these leaves start to tumble across our parking lot, wouldn't you? But how can you sow the wind? Mark is our local church planter. If I said, hey, Mark, here's a, here's a, a hoe or a till, go out and sow the wind. And you can imagine him walking through the parking lot going like this, right? And if someone just walked up and didn't know the, what we were doing here, you would look at him and go, that's a crazy person. He's trying to sow the wind. And it is impossible it is futile to try to sow the wind. He said, you try to sow the wind, but you're going to reap the whirlwind. 
And we see the difference here, right? There's the wind and then there's the whirlwind. Not so many years ago, 2011, 2012, tornadoes came through this area, right? <coughs> You're reaping the whirlwind. A destructive force. You're trying to seek after these idols for your security. But they're futile and they're empty and the result is going to be your own destruction. He takes it a step further. Your your standing grain has no heads. They grow grains, but it has no, the fruit, it yields no flower. And he says, even if it was to yield flower, you wouldn't get the benefit of it. (coughs) Strangers are going to come in and they're going to devour it up. It's a judgment on the works of the nation, their labors. They work so hard for their perceived goals, but they see none of its benefits. Again, today we don't struggle with building golden calves, right? It's not like I come here on a Sunday and say, let's have all your gold jewelry. We're going to melt it down. We're going to make a calf and I'm going to set it on this table. We don't struggle in that same way. But this does not mean we do not create idols. Because idols are these secret, sneaky things that like to creep into our hearts, aren't they? I've used this quote before, but it's so good. John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. You ever been to a factory and watched something get made? Churns them out, doesn't it? Over, He says, your hearts are idle factories. We are constantly looking to other things. And we're bowing the knees saying, this is what is most important to me. And we can each, as we examine our hearts, uh, admit, if we're honest with ourselves, admit <clears throat> idols that we've set up. Some of us make idols of people and put them on pedestals. Some of us make idols of position. And all the good things they provide for us. Some of us create idols of self. And in effect, what we're guilty of is taking God out of his proper position and putting something else in his place. This is the thing I need. This is the thing that I will work for. We take the good things that God gives us and we pervert them. We Worship the created as opposed to the creator. And Christ has to be all for us. He has to be our prophet, our priest, our king. He has provided for all our needs. (laughs) And we must put nothing else in his place. And if we do, if we do put something else in our place, then we get to our third and final point. We will reap destruction. Verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as useless vessels. This swallowed up here is is actually more akin to a mixing in. Have you ever taken, in baking, you call them wet and dry ingredients, right? So you take wet ingredients, something like eggs or oil or whatever, and you add flour. And when you put the flour in there and you mix it up, you no longer see the flour, right? It's swallowed up in the process. 
And this is what he's, he's akin, uh, he's using Israel as an example of. Israel is swallowed up among the nations. They've gone to the nations and they sought security in them. And the result is that they're swallowed up. It didn't make them stronger. It made them weaker. And it says now they're of a vessel of no value, a useless vessel. <clears throat> they will be used and abused as a result of their failure. Their worth will plummet and they will be compared to a ruined pot. For they have gone to Assyria, a wild donkey, wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. They're compared to a wild donkey. What do we know about wild donkeys? Wild donkeys are very social animals. They love other wild donkeys, but they're not good at being domesticated. They don't take well to it. So they're social, but they don't like to be domesticated. So here we have a herd animal who has availability in his own herd, but he's going out paying for lovers. And this is a very striking image, isn't it? If Hosea, the book of Hosea, if anything, it's not for the bashful. <laughs> Israel is seeking lovers other than God. They sought goodwill and favor from Assyria. They are a stubborn, idolatrous people who are going to affection from an outside source. And because of this, they will be gathered and they will be used. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the kings and princes soon shall writhe because of the tribute. They have multiplied, because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. In essence, what he says here, they've put altars up. These altars that they thought would give them forgiveness of sins, that they would provide atonement for them. And they had increased them. They built more because they thought they would have security in this. <clears throat> but these sacrifices, even if they're sacrifices that attempt to be according to the law, all they do have become is occasions for sinning. They misunderstood them and they, they don't understand what they're actually for. Because even as they sacrifice to Yahweh, they continue to sacrifice to Baal and to the other gods. And they just become tools to add to their destruction. Even if I were to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would regard them as strange. He said, even if I were to continue to give them my law, to continue to give them my will in written form, it would be strange to them. They don't know Yahweh's will. And Yahweh is rejecting them. He says, I will remember your iniquities. I will, say, I will remember their iniquities. I will punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. This is a reversal of the language of Exodus when he said, I will not remember your iniquities. I will keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He says, it's a reversal of this. I will remember not to forgive them. I will bring judgment Upon them, they will return to Egypt. 
This is a reversal of him, them being called out. They have broken covenant. And so they will go back to their place of slavery. And this will come upon Israel. Verse 14, for Israel has forgotten its maker. And on Judah, who has multiplied fortified cities. He comes for both of them. And interestingly, we see here, the world is tempting Israel. And when Israel responds, they mock and beat them down. The world loves to come in and tempt the church. It comes to the church and it says, look, these things you're following, they're archaic, useless laws. You don't have to live a certain way. Do what's right for you. Do what feels good for you. And then when you do it, what do they say to you? Look at you, you hypocrite. Because on one hand, they're enticing you away from God. And then when you come away from God, they mock you and say, look how useless you are. The world longs to see God and the people of God put in their place. This is what's happened to Israel. Has the world enticed them away? Come rest and trust in us. And when they do, they just mock. They tear down, they beat down. Israel has forgotten its maker. We in the church cannot, we must not forget our maker because the world is screaming at the church. And as you look at the church, sadly, the testimony of the church is that it is increasingly looking less and or more and more like the world. When you look at divorce rates in the church as they are skyrocketing, as you look at the church, what we call, I'm going to parentheses church, right? Where they say, look, scripture's archaic. You don't have to follow it any longer. We are now more well advanced in years and we are no longer uh, so ignorant as these people. You don't have to follow everything that the Bible says. And we like the words of the world. The church likes the words of the world and they go to him and there's a warning here in Hosea. It says, no, you will be swallowed up by the nations. You will become a useless vessel as you go out and hire yourselves for yourselves lovers like Assyria and others. We must cease tilling the ground in sin. We are to reject sin and we are to turn to God. And in him we find that which is good, not sowing futility, not seeking after the idols of this world, not putting in the place of God meaningless, empty things. Because there's a warning. Excuse me. If you do this, you will reap destruction. God will come in judgment on the unbelieving world. He will come to those who have rejected him, who have mocked his glory, and he will not be merciful. How 
long, O Israel? How long will they be incapable of innocence? I think we can echo a similar cry. How long, O people of God? How long, O church? Will you continue to capitulate to this world? Whether we do it as corporately or we do it individually, how long? You must live according to his plan, according to his purposes. You must come and see his written word. You must know it and study it and live it and cherish it. You must no longer seek for hope in this world. At the end of the day, even as we read Hosea, and I think it's good for us to read Hosea, even though it at times is hard, because Hosea is crying out that we have a need. Now, thankfully, we get the rest of the story, right? That need has been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus Christ himself came. And where prophets failed, he did not fail. Where priests failed, he did not fail. Where kings failed, he did not fail. He was perfect in every regard, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect atonement for sins. So now we as the people of God, we who are called sons and daughters of the, of the most high God, get to come and we live according to his plan and according to his purposes and I love that even as we are going through this message of judgment we'll conclude in our Sunday school hour with a message of glory I encourage you to stay for this as we get to look at the message to the church that even as they suffer even as they struggle their end is certain that Christ is coming that he is on his throne and that we are secure in him. I think the message of Hosea, even though it's old and it's hard for us and a lot of the language is confusing, is the message we need to hear today. That we must no longer be flitting and floating to the things of this world. We must no longer be holding on to our, our anger, our lust, or whatever we're holding on to, we must come in faith and repentance to him and put him in his proper place. We must be secure in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for what Christ has done for us. And Lord, even as we hear this message of judgment, we are reminded of the message of the cross. Would we rest secure in Jesus? Would we come and tear down the idols of our hearts and put our faith and rest and trust in him? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, let us stand.